Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hey team, Oliver here. This week I interview Mike Radenbar, founder of Rad Power Bikes. If you don't know, Red Power Bikes are the largest e-bike manufacturer in the US. And this has been a conversation I have long wanted to have. Mike is a total stalwart of the industry. He's been around longer than most and has been uh, through the ups and the downs and, and everything. So this conversation was amazing. We got to go th- all the way through his story, uh, how he's built his company, what he thinks is interesting. He also reveals a brand new product, which I'm very excited about. It's the most requested product ever from Rad, and they finally released it, and we got to be one of the exclusive launch partners for this. So check that out. That's around minute 13. But in the meantime as well, he also talks about what he's going to be up to now that Phil Molyneux has taken over as CEO at Rad Power Bikes. If you like this, you will also like, I can almost guarantee it, our Rider Choice Awards. These are the Oscars, the Tonys, the BAFTAs of the micromobility world. Uh, We are going to be announcing our finalists and then very soon the winners will be announced at Micromobility World on January 19th. Go and check it out at micromobility.io and check out and vote for your favorite companies in each of the different categories that we have. Uh, We're talking scooters, bikes, uh, shared services, and a whole suite of other things as well. If you are into micromobility, this is also a great way to learn about the other companies that are in the space as well. So go check it out. I know you're going to love it. And in the meantime... Here is Mike. Let's go. So welcome back to Micromobility. Uh, today we have with us uh, someone who I've been incredibly excited to have on for a very long time, Mike Radenbar, CEO uh, until recently of Rad Power Bikes. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm doing great, Oliver. It's been a, been too long coming, but great to be with you. Yeah, yeah. Hey, look, uh, it's it's actually really funny because for a long time I didn't actually know about. I'd heard about sort of Rad Power Bikes, da, 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 you know. But being in New Zealand, I wasn't quite aware of the the like the size of the phenomenon that you have built in the US. And it's been uh, it's become incredibly clear for anybody who's spending time in the micromobility industry that you're just like a juggernaut. And um, James Gross, who's one of the co-founders of micromobility industries has very strictly told me, he's like, this is the Henry Ford of micromobility. Do not stuff this up, this interview. So <laughs> I am, uh, I'm here merely to listen and uh, to hear you tell your story. I, I, and I want to start really with like just a little bit about Brad Powerbucks because, you know, there, I think there's a lot of people who listen to this who may not be in the States uh, and might not have sort of as much visibility as, as a lot of us about, about the company. Can you take me through, you know, where you're at now, and then we can go back into like the history of how you got there in the first place. Yeah. So, so Rad's the largest electric bike company in North America, and we've done things a little bit differently. We were the pioneer of direct to consumer e-bikes, and we build e-bikes that are less bike-like and more bridging into the stuff you talk about on the show a lot, which is something that blurs the lines between automotive travel and the comfort of an automobile and the convenience, low cost and low environmental footprint of small electric vehicles. So 
one of those one of those vehicles that we love a lot here at Rad is the Rad Rover, which was our flagship product, and that mm-hmm. introduced fat tire bikes uh, into the you know, e bike category for all the benefits that they bring from comfort and uh, and stability on rough roads, and then all the way up to our category creating Rad Runner, which is a one of the first of its kind compact cargo bike, and that has this beautiful patented seat design that turns it from a uh, bike-like pedaling seating position to a more moped-like seating position, yeah. which is just a great way to bring adult riders into the scene from maybe they're reminiscent of their their days on their Huffies or their Schwins, and they're able to enjoy that. But with the, the automotive-like comforts of high handlebars and upright riding position and strong brakes and integrated lighting and universal front and rear rack mounting systems for carrying cargo and pets and gear, so that's a lot about what Rad has tried to do for the category is popularize e-bikes by taking a very different lens on it. And um, yeah, you mentioned like the Henry Ford reference, and this was always key to our business was accessibility and price. Yeah, totally. But also accessibility and design. And so you'll see that we've also been hard at work making step-through electric bikes the norm. And when, when we got started, we, there was a lot of comments around how step-through bikes, we'd hear comments from uh, folks about how they were girls' bikes and referencing them with some gender association. And so we've really been trying to re-educate the consumer that a step-through bike is just a, it's a better e-bike. It's more utilitarian. It's more useful. It's easier to get on and off when you've got the front and rear racks loaded up. And we're excited to bring those to you know, millions and millions of people here over the next few years. Totally. And in terms of sales, I mean, I know that these are not public and I know you don't make them public, but you did recently announce that you'd done 500,000 bikes and, and, and I've gone backwards and worked it out. So it's like, if you did a hundred thousand in 2020, or you had kind of got cumulative to a hundred thousand in 2020 and we're two years later and you got to 500,000. So you're clearly like a bit of a juggernaut in this space as, as, as we were mentioning, do you have a sort of, uh, like a guy just, as well on on the footprint of like because i know that one of the things you've done obviously has been direct to consumer but you've been expanding into uh, into having your own stores and that sort of thing what just just for again for a guide on the size that you're at at the moment is that a good guide uh, in referencing uh how big you are or is it doesn't really give much away uh, i mean yeah we, we we do like to talk about the ridership because that's why we're here. We're here to get yep. the millions of people that are stuck living a car lifestyle and suffering because of it, their pocketbooks and the environment and bringing people solutions. And so, so that matters to us in a great deal deal. And, but, um, I mean, as of now, like we're, you know, I think we're just getting through black Friday, cyber Monday, it's cyber Monday right now as we're recording this and, you know, we're closing more in on 600,000 or so riders, um, coming here soon. So it's, uh, whoop, whoop. the rad revolutions growing fast. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, look, you know, I think it's been really fun. I've So th- there's a couple of really good episodes. If folks are interested in this, uh, Mike, you've done some awesome interviews. One with Guy Raz on, on the uh, How I Built This interview with NPR, which you did back in 2020, 2021, which is a really good in-depth one hour long interview about sort of the, the start of the company, which I really recommend people check out. And then you also did another one with Harry at our conference, Micromobility America, which is now up on YouTube, both of which I'll link in the show notes. But, you know, one of the things that I I've kind of was struck with with all of this is that like e-bikes, you know, I think there's a whole bunch of people who have kind of come to e-bikes like more recently and you were clearly just like the biggest nerd about this stuff back in like, <laughs> you know, when you were 15, 16, 2007, like you've been at this game like a really long time. So can you take us through that journey for yourself? 
Yeah, and I know I'm not alone on the listener group on your and your podcast. And when I say, yeah, you're among friends here. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I'm among friends, and so I'll just say I was not the most popular uh, kid in high school when I was building e-bikes and showing up to school uh, on them. And uh, it took it took a long time to for people to start to recognize there was really something there. But yeah, I was just I was totally caught up in it from an early age. I grew up as a tree hugger. Uh, my parents were back to the landers. So, you know, hippie, hippie, uh, organic farming. And I grew up tinkering. My dad was a carpenter. Both my grandfathers were, um, both engineers. And so I just, it was like bit by the bug. I love creation and I, I loved electric vehicles from a young age because of the, the impact that they can have uh, against the climate crisis. And, mm. and I just saw always that large sized electric vehicles were never going to scale, let alone be affordable, let alone be the um, reducing the energy burden and resource burden on this planet that that we have to achieve. And so that's why I've spent my whole life investing in micromobility and and, and rad in our mission um, to make e-bikes accessible. Yeah, though, I was really struck in the Guy Raz interview about the uh, about your your sort of seg well, not segue your your like little trip off into making electric golf uh, skateboards, which just sounded like hysterically fun. Yeah, so so I started Rad in 2007, and and was building e-bikes through the whole period of time. But I also st- I started two other companies with some friends, and one of those was an electric four-wheel drive golf skateboard, which had a, uh, you know, a really it, it was exciting. It was the PGA, which is for those that don't know, it's a Professional Golfing Association. It was the best new product of the year, and we were really shaking up that industry with a micro mobility device, which was really cool. And but. Rad was always my my true passion, and e-bikes, in terms of a ubiquitous solution to the climate crisis, yep. are have never been important than they are now. So in 2015, after those other startup experiences, I had it was time to go big and with with Rad, and that was like the tipping point where I think the commercial viability of, of electric bikes started to become really clear. And um, you know, you and Horace talk about this a lot. This idea around just the pricing and the availability of Certain whether whether that sells at the at the battery cell level or even power electronics, we just got to a point where it could all come together in a really great high value package for consumers. Yeah, I know. I remember seeing that first. Was it Indiegogo or Kickstarter or I can't remember exactly the platform that you used, but I remember seeing that bike and just going like, it was 2015. I was at Uber and I was and I saw it because I was kind of still following this part of the industry and just thinking like oh wow that's to be honest i was kind of dismissive of it at the time i was like who's gonna buy these really big fat tired things but they went it went gangbusters it went totally mad and it was for such an affordable price point that was the thing that really blew me away and like the thing that's continued to blow me away with the work that you guys have done uh in this space so talk me through that part like what did you launch and like why did you go the crowdfunding route at that point yeah we we had to we used the crowd we used crowdfunding to to finance the business. And we, and then we bootstrapped rad for a long time. Now we've raised more than $300 million from a lot of notable investors from you know, Fidelity and T Rowe and Morgan Stanley and durable uh, capital partners. And, but in those early days, it was all about just finding, having the consumer help us, um, help them. And we just saw a big opening for, uh, an e-bike, which was a little controversial at the time. So you were not alone sort of scratching your head when you saw the rad Rover, which was our first flagship product, but yep. that really was the beginning of modern day rad as you know it. Yeah. And it, the, the point that I kind of, that I saw with that was like, 
ah, this is a, because the fat tires, I mean, I've ridden, I had at that point, I think ridden on a bike with fat tires and I was like, oh man, this is really like, it's heavy and it's, you know, crap. I hadn't quite clicked that of course the electric would make like that material a difference in terms of really just taking all that weight away. And I assume that that's kind of why it was a popular product was it's just, you know, if you can ride those big tires and you get all the benefits of having those big tires, but you have none of the like the downside of like you have to pedal really hard and you know drops you yeah i can see it so were you selling into a community at that point or did this, was that how the community started getting formed around that that's how it, it started it was there all along and we, we knew it and going back to 2007 when i you know, first started the company mm. my first customer was struggling with some health issues and wanted bigger tires for comfort and higher handlebars and there was this consistent theme with every customer I was helping build an e-bike for, and they all wanted something that was a lot more, you know, feature rich and comfortable. And I always make the joke internally, say with our R and D team about how many cup holders our bike should have on it. And it should match that of the modern day minivan, which I think is like seven, 16 cup holders or, or maybe more. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, right. Yeah. 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 It's a lot. now. <laughs> but, but yeah, but that, that, that's, that's part of our design mantra is just to pack a lot of utility and a lot of punch. And the other thing that fat tires brought for the category was notoriety and it would capture people's attention where before e-bikes maybe didn't get noticed so much. And the big tires are just hard to ignore. And what we hear from our customers all the time is they get stopped on the sidewalk and people ask them about their large tire electric bike. Yep. So you, you've, you've seen that design language continue through all the other products in our lineup. Yeah, because so you obviously started with Red Rover, and then so you did million dollars worth of sales or so off the off the back of that, and then you did eight million the next year and thirty million the next year. So you've continued on like, and and at this point now you have obviously quite a, a number of models. The one that I actually had a chance to ride when I was up in in, in twenty nineteen, and that was the thing was it was the Red Rover, uh, the sorry the Red Wagon, but I think it wasn't the four; it would have been the two or the three. And just being like blown away with how good it was for the price that it was, you know, it was just like, this is, this is totally, uh, totally mad. So how many products do you have at this point? You've got Mission, Runner, Rover. Yeah, we, we have the Rad Rover, the Rad Expand, which is a folding fat tire bike. We have the Rad Wagon, which is a, 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 a long tail cargo bike. We have the Rad Runner, which is a utility, you know, more compact cargo bike. And we have the Rad City, which is a very utilitarian kind of touring slash commuter e-bike. Yep. And then we've also got something also new cooking, which I think we'll talk a little bit more about today as, as an early reveal. Totally. Well, yeah, I, I, th I feel like this is the appropriate time, man. Let's get into it. So what's the what's the announcement for today? I'm very excited to, to be here with this. Yeah. So um, I, I, yeah, I hope today was a good use of your time, Oliver, because I, I know you just came off of a cold, but your radio voice still sounds amazing. I don't know how, but... Um, <laughs> But I, I we really appreciate it because today's a very important day for for Rad as this uh, yep. goes out because today's the launch of our number one most requested product ever. Really, it is. It's the number one most requested product ever. Wow, and, cool. Um, it's it's many years in the making, and yep, it's also based off a lot of those early customer conversations I was having, and still today, anyone that works at Rad, if they pick up the phone lines or work in our stores, they get requests constantly for this. And so we've got a lot of exciting insights from the consumer that are baked into it. And it's happens to not have two wheels. Yeah. Wow. This is the first vehicle ever for rad that has three. And that is because this is the rad trike that's coming out today. So love it. Um, so anyway, super excited to be able to you know be on the show and, uh, and reveal it with you. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. And 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 so like it's funny. It's one of these things that like it fits into our thesis about how micromobility is going to evolve, which is that the world will uh, there's like a Cambrian explosion of different vehicle types, right? And that that that. that because the new new vehicles are actually like relatively easy to build, you can kind of have lots of different types that will emerge and that people will be able to build or get the vehicle that is most appropriate for their needs. And so the trike form factor is one that I'm very excited about. Actually, I think electric trikes have a, have a whole new area, a whole area that hasn't really been explored yet. So can you talk me through uh, a bit more about the bike? Like what, what are we looking at? What's kind of interesting about it? Like I said, it's been multiple years in the making. This is a category where... It's just, it's really been undertaken care of, which is basically it's a customer that wants the high payload. So it's a 415 pound payload, Yep. which is, so it's got this credible cargo capacity and also people that want more stability. So what we've learned so far in all of our consumer research is that it's a pretty broad category. The requests we get are from everyone, from people that own small businesses to people that want to upgrade to a rad trike. Uh, maybe they would benefit from the stability. So they've got another rad model and they want to upgrade to it or they want to buy the rad trike for someone else in their life who could also benefit from the stability or the added utility of, of it. So it's just also, I'd say it's incredibly fun to operate. I've been commuting on one at night in stealth mode. <laughs> it's the only way I can, I can get away with uh, riding a rad trike around uh, Seattle. But yeah. Um, yeah. But, but it's just incredibly fun to ride too because it's got a steel frame, which is, the only steel bike in our lineup mm. that has a lot to do with the payload capacity and also some of the vehicle dynamics. So it's really stable despite it being three wheels. It's incredibly stable because the weights set low and back and the frame can flex a little bit in corners. So I've just been having a blast commuting on it. So I can't wait to see people out riding them and, and trying a trike for themselves because it's uh, what we what we coined the term internally is an unexpected joy ride. Yes. Yeah. Because cool. you wouldn't expect it, but it just lights a smile on your face. It feels like you're a kid again. Yeah. I used to have uh, someone in my family who, who had Parkinson's. And so they, uh, it, for them, they used to ride a trike around because it was the only way that they could have that stability. And so I can, you know, your point earlier around you want to have vehicles that are accessible both in terms of price and in terms of obviously design. I think it's incredibly important, but, you know, I'm curious how the, how you, like from a marketing perspective, who, who do you think will buy these? Like who, who are most likely to buy these in terms of those requests? When we met, so we met with James Gross in LA during our press tour there. And his quote was the one that we're hearing the most consistently. He's, he's going to say it a lot better than I'm going to say it now, but yep. or he said a lot better <laughs> than I'm going to say it now. But, uh, he effectively said like, oh, I, there's, there's, there's a lot of people in my life that need this. Yeah. And he's, he said he's going to buy one to add to his fleet of rad e-bikes down in Encinitas. Yeah. So that when he has, I think it was somebody in his family was going to come and visit and then they could all go ride together, which I think is such a cool thing. And so that's, I think, you know, one of the campaigns that we've been playing around with internally is also this term of rad together, which is how do you get the whole household out of a car yeah, totally. and multi-generational folks out of a car and small business owners even too, and people that need to carry their pets um, with them where they go, their, their furry, you know, four-legged friends. And and so that's, I think you said it really well when we started talking about the trike, which is just like, this is blurring the lines of, uh, of transportation and bringing people more options. And especially in areas that have been really underserved. Mm, mm. In terms of the, the, the vehicle, what, so do you have a price point in mind? Uh, yeah, so it's going to be, it's going to go for, it's go, it's available for sale starting today. Yep. Um, Woohoo. And it'll, be, it'll begin shipping in the beginning of January. 
Yep. So very quickly here. Um, and it's available for test riding in all rad retail stores starting now as well. And I'm at the Brooklyn store, uh, Br- Brooklyn, New York store today. And the team was setting up trikes and getting them ready for test riding in store, which is, which is super exciting. And it's packed full of incredible value. It ships for free and it's only $24.99. Awesome. Which I think is a, so, so it's a leading price point in the category. Um, and so again, can't, can't wait for people to get on it and just see what the cost of you know, less than the, the, they're spending on gasoline in a single year. And for most people, they can get a fully loaded electric trike from Rad4. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the, you know, in the in a wider conversation around e-bikes and, and you know, how the space has evolved. I think your point around, man, the just even that you can buy an e-bike these days that is as fully featured as that for the price of less than you'd spend on just filling up your car with gas, let alone anything else related to the car. I think it's just, it starts getting incredibly compelling. And especially with something like this, right? Which is, which is very accessible for someone who may not have ridden a bike before or didn't feel comfortable with the stability or whatever. It's really cool. I think uh, one of the areas that we, we, we've kind of recognized that we need to be uh, handling better in the conference has been the accessibility community because I think that's the one thing that oftentimes I think the early stages of the micromobility industry were really especially with the shared operators who were very gung-ho in terms of how they operated and and kind of really racking up the accessibility community who were really annoyed about scooters being strewn everywhere it's been hard to have that conversation whereas I think this is exactly the sort of uh, vehicle that I think helps bridge that conversation around like, hey, look, lightweight electric vehicles are actually really good for a whole bunch of communities that until now have been really underserved. And it's underserved with the car as well. Like it's not like they've got a great solution in the, <laughs> in the world with, you know, public transport and the particular way that it's structured or anything. It's like, no, lightweight electric vehicles should be really good for everybody. So, hey, hats off to you guys uh, for and, and the team for having built this. I'm, I'm really excited about it. Yeah, thank you. I'm really curious... You know, you obviously gone two wheels at the back, one at the front. Did you explore other modes? Like, have you looked? Because one of the things that I've seen, obviously, is Europe's really popular. They've got a lot of like two wheeled, two wheels at the front, one at the back as a particular uh, way to do it. A friend of mine has a has a Bernese Mountain Dog, and he has a there's a there's a particular model that they sell in in the Netherlands, which is like a dog trike that has like a sort of low end uh, thing and it's a little door. And so he rides around in Amsterdam, <laughs> downtown Amsterdam with this giant Bernese mountain dog on the front of his bike. And, and uh, Kaiser, as he is known, is uh, quite the celebrity. Uh, and I, I mean, I've always been like quite excited about the idea of trikes like this that, that do that. But curious for you, you know, like why, why rear, not front? Did you think about tilting, all that sort of stuff? Or is that all for future development that we can't talk about? Well, first off, you have the coolest friends, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't wait when I'm back visiting the team there. Hopefully see uh, Kaiser cruising around. And um, Oh, he's, he's, quite the, he's quite the hit. Yeah. I'm certain, yeah. Well, um, what we wanted to do, first and foremost, we wanted to popularize three wheels because it fits within the electric bike classifications in all of our markets, which is wonderful. That's one of the big things about it. So, like, I, I would even take this out to say, like, why not four wheels? Why not... And th- three keeps things simpler. It's more value innovative as well. So it brings down some costs for the consumer yep. as well. So I think in terms of popularization, keeping a very accessible price point is crucial. But anyways, we did. We went through every configuration of drive, powertrain, motor location. And where we landed, it just the trike just operates like a all the benefits of, a, of a, a, one of our classic two-wheel electric bikes, but with the 
the added utility of three wheels and that stability. But we didn't stop at just building a trike. So like the weight is very low. So you'll like notice the swept backed angle of the seat tube and the width of the rear wheels. It still fits through most exterior doorways, mm. which is yep. crucial for people to be able to bring it in and out. But it's it's just much it's wider and much more stable than trikes that are on the market today, which I think a lot of trikes that are on the market today are more like, you know, very low. They should only be traveling at very low speed, sort of. Uh, almost like toy-like and the rad trike feels like a very heavy duty piece of everyday transportation. And um, one of those things that makes it feel that way is the reverse functionality, which is really fun. And so it's our first bike with a reverse. It's our first bike or e-bike with a parking brake as well. Yep. So you can use the parking brake for getting on and off and you can use the reverse for getting out of tight spaces and or parking in your garage. And so you know, where, where we landed was... Um, optimizing around those features uh, for the consumer. But the thing I, w- I guess I want to highlight most is that this is a platform, the way that it's designed, that's got a very extremely low standover height, uh, step through height. So yep. very easy to get on and off, even if you have uh, mobility issues in your hips or knees, what have you. And it also goes down to riders that are uh, 4'10", 4'10 and above. So it also goes, and then it's got very upright, swept back handlebars that Rad custom built. And so this just provides this very comfortable upright experience. But why, why did I say platform? It's because it's highly personalizable, like highly customizable. Mm. So your friend has this Burmese mountain dog in the front of their, we can't carry a Burmese on the front of the rad trike, but it does have our universal front racking system and rear racking system. So you can put our large baskets and a pet carrier on the front and a pet carrier on the rear. So you can, adjust it to whatever your lifestyle might might need. And one, one of the things I really love is that the front, our racks also fit most of those most standard coolers as well. Oh, really? Yeah, cool. They're de- designed to fit them almost perfectly and throw a bungee over the top. And so it's just a, a really great solution to run, running to the beach, running to the store, taking your dog out to the park or, or more um, utilitarian applications like you're picking gear up at the hardware store. Mm. It's so funny to hear you talk about all your, your your features because you one thing that I've been really struck with ever since I you know first started watching material uh, from you and, and and just seeing how you've designed your bikes is that you are so focused on the use cases for the customer. I think you know in the kindest way some of the industry has been really focused on you know the, the just the, the fact that like we can build really cool things and that we can uh, and and that we know that they're useful right like we know that people want to have an e-bike that would be able to get across the city and, and, and things like that but i've been really struck with how how dedicated you are to finding the what are the pain points of a customer and working out how to fix them and that you've gone really you know like yeah your bikes are good looking but it's 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 really like you know function over form a lot of the time it's like what is the what is the thing that we can make that is the most useful thing for someone and and that that's really been uh, such a dedicated force for you one of the things I, I I really wanted to ask is that, do you think that's because you've gone direct to consumer right from the get go yeah has that been a, a really big driver for you about that yeah since I was fifteen years old I was serve in service to this movement and when you hear the stories about the needs that people have from first-time college students to boomers, baby boomers, and and folks everywhere in between that are in need of more solutions. Like that's that's what we've been up to all along. And we've always applied this value innovation lens to everything we do. So value innovations in the business model 
It's in owning our own retail stores. So you have this incredible, valuable experience, but without the markups of yeah. uh, that would be experienced in a, in a traditional model. And then through the product as well, as we just we go big on certain features and we eliminate others that are more surface level. So I, I agree with you. I think there's just a lot of you know you've heard of penetration pricing where someone will underprice something and sell sell it as a on a losing margin. There's also penetration specs that we've seen a lot in the category. Yeah. And I'm not an expert on other businesses, but we just try to focus on what matters, which is power, utility, range, comfort, and we've really doubled down on that with the Rad Trike. Yeah, totally. And you know, one of the one of the big ones that I I think uh, people have talked about in the past as well is anti theft or you know, it's an area that I think is like traditionally very undisturbed in the e-bike market. And I'm very curious because you you strike me as being, you sell more e-bikes than pretty much anybody. And yet these days it's still relatively uncommon for any bikes, I think, to be sold with like an internet connection or something that allow people to have their bike lockable from using their phone or any of that, that sort of stuff. And you're like, you clearly haven't gone that down that direction yet. And I'm just curious, you know, how that decision was made for, for you guys that this hasn't been like clearly something that's not that big a deal and that you haven't gone and, and said like, this is going to be our kind of modus operandi, how we're going to sell, you know, how, how we're going to drive all the developments of our bikes, et cetera. Can you talk me through your your thinking on that one? All the business leaders that are on, on you know, listening to the show know, know this lesson probably they learned it the hard way like I have, but you have to focus intently as business from the early days. And so this is really a story of focus for us is that the customer wasn't asking for it. It was also, it would be incredibly expensive to do it well. It's it, and there there are connected electric bikes out there, but maybe they are an app for the sake of an app or the features are maybe not incredibly rugged or reliable. And that's, what's crucial to us is that we have to, if we're going to put anything out in the market, it needs to be rugged. It needs to be reliable. It needs to be dependable for everyday transportation. And so that's, that's our focus is like, will we get there in the future? I'm almost certain, but I think it's more of a timing and priority uh, decision. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the other, the other part that I also have about that as well is just the thing that, as I I kind of mentioned, like I was struck with the price and you talk about value innovative, uh, you know, that that's one of the the elements that you bring to that. I was struck when you said that, uh, not you necessarily, but I, I certainly have heard it Maybe it was, maybe it was you, but it was talked about the one third, you were able to get to one third of the price because you were able to skip, you know, dealers and distributors and, um, and then even bike shops to be able to get those vehicles out. You know, that comes with the cost, right? Like it, it does come with a cost in the sense of there's an element of servicing and other things that are like, sometimes it's, it's harder when you sell, like, I think there's, that has been the death knell of a number of companies that have been trying to build in the space. And it's hard, like it's harder to build a company when you're direct, selling them directly to consumers, oftentimes this is their first e-bike, so they don't really have much of a reference point. And you're trying to service all of that remotely. Like, how have you thought about that part? <laughs> I'll give the context as well that like sometimes I read the bike retailers news, and you know the bike retailers I think have have a particular view on the direct to consumer model, and they're like, no, it should all be you know all of these people should be going and selling these bikes through bike shops because. Bike shops are required to be able to have these bikes be serviced, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How have you, like, you've obviously made that trade-off in the way that you've built it because it allows you to get bikes to a really good price point. How do you think about nailing that customer experience at the end point for a consumer so that they, you know, the bike is always serviced and it's kept up to speed and and, and all of those elements as well? 
So, so today, if you are checking out on our websites and you enter your zip code, you're offered a variety of fulfillment options. And one of those is through a rad retail store to deliver direct to your doorstep or through our bike shop partners. And there's a small fee associated with that, but you get a white glove, fully assembled experience. And so we love bike shops and we want to support them with super healthy revenue and, and high volume uh, consumer traffic. And so we've gone, we've gone really big there in the last few years and continue to invest a lot into those relationships. Just to, we just announced uh, today, I think in the UK also, we just launched four more service locations. And so it's not just in the North American business, it's also in Europe where we're focusing a lot on these third-party partnerships. We really believe just the volumes at which uh, consumers were supporting and the miles we're seeing them put down onto their you know, e-bikes replacing cars, service is imperative. So more the merrier on the service side. And we found the bike shops that see the value in receiving some of that white glove assembly revenue and also the tail on the service revenue and some accessories and really having that customer as part of their ecosystem for life, but on a rad platform, that's a really good business. And and then the one other thing I'd say is there's a lot of flaws in, in the traditional dealer business. If you think about it, a lot of these bike shops have suffered with hundreds of variations of bikes, powertrains and wiring harnesses and batteries and motors from the myriad of hundreds of different brands and configurations that have come through there. So part of Rad's value innovation is also standardization and simplification, fewer models to have to inventory components. And so, you know, we're, we're not perfect, but we've heard horror stories of the you know, the, the, the multi-year waits for getting certain components from some default uh, powertrain that was built five years ago that that powertrain provider no longer you know, supports anymore. So so we, we believe our model is the one that's most scalable and produces the best. That's what we see from our consumers. They get the best value up front and then they have a myriad of service options. Yeah. How, how is that? Like, I also know as well, that so you've ended up getting that the, there's like companies like Velofix and stuff who have who've come out and and, and um, also provide mobile s- servicing and support. And that, that was an area that you guys went into for a while. And obviously, that's one that you've scaled back. Because to me, it strikes me as like, there should be really good economics in a, in a mobile servicing business. Were, were you finding that in, in particular areas? Or is it just like an area that you just show is like, oh, we have to consolidate it. Or like we have to focus on our business. And this is just one of those things that's a little bit superfluous at the moment. Well, I think more, more what happened was thir- third-party service providers like Velofix started to ramp up their reach. And and again, back going back to the focus comment, we're able to really focus in on what we do best and and then work with them closely to build out a really robust business together. So I think we're one of their, if not their kind of premier partner. And you know, we got big, big plans in the works to, to uh, keep that partnership getting stronger and stronger for the consumer. So there's I, there's just tons of value to be brought to the end user for with the mobile service operations. And we still operate those in a few cities, but we did close down a number of locations, you know, mid and, and then late, late in the pandemic and focusing on these third party relationships as we also build out more and more um, rad retail stores. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. The retail stores, I'm, I'm very excited to go and uh, have a chance to check them out at some point uh, soon when I'm up in the States again. Hey, well, look, I, I, I'm conscious uh, of time and also that I want to get to this part, which is, you know, recently, you know, there's been a bit of a transition within the company and I'd love to hear you talk through that and, and just kind of where you think you're at with the business and the business is at in general as well. Of course. So 
I guess this is maybe a month ago now or a month and a half, and it came out in the press more recently, but I transitioned from founder and CEO to founder and chairman. And this has been a process of a long time coming. So so something I've been orchestrating for a long time with my very close partner and now Rad's new CEO, Phil Molyneux. So anyways, we're really energized by the new formation. And it's, I think it all comes back to an entrepreneur's job. And I think pioneer, like what we do is we just always have to be, myself included, be in the right role to scale this revolution. And this change allows me to focus on the conversation like this. Like we wouldn't have had the time to be able to put into sharing our story in this way and advocacy. Well, I can tell you because I've been trying to, I've been chasing you for four (laughs) years and and only finally got you. So it's clear that it's working. (laughs) Yeah. So it's just right, right out of the gate, you know, we're, we're a month in nine months of transition and a month into it being formalized now. And I just couldn't be happier and it's because of these kind of things. This is where I find my you know, footing. And this is where I find the most motivation is to be out on the road. Like I said, I'm at our Brooklyn store this week and, uh, and here for the, the rad trike launch and being able to help steward that launch. And then a lot of other innovation for the business. And also my primary job is a, as a, uh, the chair of the board. And then basically, uh, Phil Molyneux number one, uh, supporter and, uh, and partner. So yep. you'll see me doing a lot more advocacy for the category. It just became clear that it was uh, quickly becoming more than a full-time job, both for myself and our government affairs team. And so I think hopefully Oliver, you and I can spend some more time together now. Oh, look, I'm really looking forward to it. And because I do want to understand, you know, as we, as we talk about this, you know, I, I think I'd love to hear your assessment on the wider industry in terms of what we've done well and what we haven't done well in terms of advocacy. Cause this is, I think like, what came up when we were at Micromobility America, and I know we've been having these same conversations in Europe, it's like, and this is a role that we're grappling with, right, at Micromobility Industries, is like, what is our role within the industry? And we see it as being an advocacy group and bringing the founders together and knowing that this is a place where people can, people who are in the industry can talk, but it's also as well about being able to help put forward the, why does it matter? You know, I, I think one of the great stats that you've been talking about has been, and, and forgive me, I'm, I'm going to get this exactly right, E-bikes get 1,600 e-miles per gallon, like the equivalent of miles per gallon, and you will offset about 150 million miles of vehicle miles a year at your current rates in terms of the amount of vehicles that you like you have deployed. 150 million miles a year is, you know, if you take it to 20 miles, per, you know, it's like a million to 2 million barrels of oil equivalent, right? Of, of like, uh, when I ran the numbers, maybe, I, maybe I'm slightly off. But, you know, we're starting to get like serious in the amount of oil and gas that we're starting to, to offset and, and, and that sort of impact. And yet, I think we've still been looking for who are, who are those folks who are out there who can really tell those stories. And so I'm incredibly excited that you're choosing to put your talents into helping us do this. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's a, it's been my life's work. I mean, I've d- been doing this since I was 15 years old and everyone that knows me internally knows that I'll be working on rad for the rest of my life. And, and so very excited about this new formation. Uh, and yeah, I mean, just going back to some of the statistics you shared in North America, the number one source of carbon emissions is passenger transportation and 70% of trips are under 10 miles <laughs> and, and e-bikes, I believe are the number one tool we have against the climate crisis. And there was an article recently posted, I, I can't remember the publication, but there, it's a major publication and there was a, it was a question mark at the end of this. And it said, like, are e-bikes a serious tool for the climate crisis? And 
So there's that's our job is to come together as an industry and fight against whatever misinformation, fight against you know hundred plus years of car culture um, that is killing us. That's our number one you know, reason for being, um, and um, we'll make every decision in this business with that in mind. So it was great to be at Micro Mobility America and come together in person after a couple years of being split apart through the pandemic and uh, not only seeing other brands that we love, but also seeing a lot of our favorite suppliers and and then your team. So it's great to just all be together again. I think you'll see a real acceleration coming up soon in the uh, e-bike and e-trike movement as we kind of you know, get through the hangover effect of the pandemic and come into the spring next year. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I'm curious for you, like where, do, what, what are the, what's the stuff you're most excited about in the like two, three, four, five years from now, both in terms of impact, but also in terms of what you see coming down the pipe for vehicles and it doesn't have to be your own, but you know, just sort of generally in the industry. The, I, I shared a little bit about this at Micromobility America, but it's just accelerated since then. And we're what we're two and three months after that event and the amount of e-bike purchase incentives coming through at a you know, local regional county state, or hopefully in the future, federal yeah. level <laughs> yeah. is, yeah. Um, is phenomenal here and in, in Europe um, and in Canada. So that alone, it's amazing to see local government and, uh, folks coming together to support, again, this this crucial tool in the climate crisis. So I couldn't be more thrilled about this. I still believe there's just way too much attention placed on full-size electric vehicles, which get horrendous energy efficiency. They consume up, you know, 200, you can build 200 to 400, depending on the electric vehicle, rad power bikes per electric car battery. So they're just incredibly resource intensive. They're energy inefficient and they're a step forward ish from a traditional ice vehicle, but a five or six, seven, 8,000 pound unlimited speed full of distractive screens, automobile, electric cars, not, not the solution. So that's another thing I'm very excited about is I think rad can play a really big role in inspiring the automotive industry um, to start to really put their money where their mouth is when it comes to cleaning up their fleet. Cleaning up their fleet is not just electrification. Um, It's not autonomous vehicles. It's it's micromobility. Totally. It's either. Yeah. Do you think that automakers will go there though? We're going to go there. Or we will not have a planet that we all get to enjoy. And, and that that's already changing at an alarming rate. So my, my I'm hopeful and, mm. um, and we, and we're seeing movement now, but we've also seen over the last 10 years, like you've experienced hundreds of electric bike companies come out and 99 of those go out of business. And similarly, automotive companies left and right have made claims about, becoming and really putting some dollars behind the e- e-bike movement. And again, I just love to people see them walk the walk. So would I. Uh, yeah, I've been talking to a number of uh, folks who are in those teams on those automakers. And the, the part that I worry about is just that it's so different to their own business model that they can't like it's it's you know, like GM did the arrive and Jeeps tried to do an e-bike. And I know that there's, you know, Porsche is obviously getting into them now. They're probably going to go super high end. Rivian just hired the CTO for specialized, like, and they're all looking at it. And, and my worry is that they just won't be able to make the economics of a stack up. It needs to be like you guys, right? When you started, it was super incredibly lean as a company. And that the, because the economics of it are just so, the economics of it end up being so compelling but only when you've got no overheads, 
right? But if you've got a giant overhead of an entire auto company that you have to try and carry as well on this vehicle or on these vehicles, it's just going to be very challenging to be able to make those economics stack up. Yeah. It's like classic disruption theory, right? It's like the incumbents just look at it and say, this doesn't work for my business model. Yeah. We're just going to keep deadly focused on what we're doing. And, um, and so anyways, very excited to play this role and try to inspire others to, to come this direction because the really the great lie of the electric vehicle is deeply concerning to me and um and everyone around totally well i mean it's your opportunity right that this is this is the wonderful thing about it is that it's like this is this is rad's opportunity to just eat everybody and i mean i think that's the industry the opportunity of the entire industry and why i'm obviously super excited about micro yeah we we have to do it together though and it requires companies and it requires the government and we all we all have to work together so we do need to transform again we're investing for more than 100 years into uh, automotive dominated culture and Man, we have to go undo that. And so we're going to keep playing the best role we can as pioneers, but we, we need more people to, to come along and help transform the, the thinking of, uh, of the mass market. Totally. Well, look, I'm, uh, I'm conscious of time and we do need to end uh, right around now. But look, it has been such a pleasure to do this with you, Mike. And I hope this is one of many chats that we get to have with each other. And I'm really looking forward once you've kind of got a little bit further down the road, maybe on, on, on this uh, advocacy piece that we bring you back on and we talk just about that. And we can talk about what's the, uh, the call to the industry, really, about what we, what's the messaging that we need to kind of nail and get down and, and what's the opportunities for everybody to come in and help and assist you to, to be able to drive that. So look, thank you again so much. Uh, it, it's such a joy to finally get some time with you <laughs> uh, after so long and congratulations on the red, on the red track. So for folks who do want to just track, you know, uh, obviously go and find out, but more about the red track and, and other things, uh, where, where would they do that? Yeah. Go to our.com or our UK site or our EU site or a Canadian site and uh, take a look at it. It's only launching in uh, the U S initially. Cool. So just kind of a heads up there on availability. So keeping that to the U.S. and no other countries planned at the moment. Um, so for the trike specifically, go to radpowerbikes.com uh, to, to take a look at it. And we're going to be showcasing one of the accessories that we have in development that I'm personally really excited about. And that's called the Rad Canopy. And it's a rain and sun protector that goes over the trike which again, helps blur the lines between e-bike and, and e-vehicle in such a cool way. So that's a feature. So people should definitely take a look at that and then pop into our stores to take a spin and take a test ride. And Oliver, thank you so much for you know, helping us get the word out about the Rad Trike and um, you know my, our new formation internally as a business, which we're just really jazzed about. Um, so cheers to the next stage and I'll see you in uh, 2023. Looking forward to it. Awesome. All right. Hey, well, thanks so much. Thank you.